Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 53, or what to do when you're stuck alone on a deserted island with a guy named Friday and a dog. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's been a nice couple weeks here. It's been interesting. We had a, a big uh, snowstorm the week before last. Fortunately, we did all right. Uh, not far south from here, there's a lot of ice and people lost power and that sort of thing, but we did quite okay. We were stuck at home for about a week with lots of snow and we got to make snowmen and sled and all that. But anyway, let's talk about this episode. Today I am talking about Robinson Crusoe Adventure on Cursed Island. This is a cooperative game, a really big, really neat cooperative game. I'm also briefly going to look at playing multiple characters in a co-op, should you. But first, the news. Okay, first up is uh, Lord of the Rings Living Card Game news from Fantasy Flight. There is another expansion. They're coming out regularly again, which is nice. It seemed like for a while it hadn't been happening often. Early, at first, I remember they had said they're going to release an expansion every other month. Last year, it didn't seem to be that often. Um, but they, they seem to be doing that again, or at least very regularly. Anyway, this time it is the second in the Ringmaker series. It is called... The Road Darkens, and it's another large box, or I guess medium-sized box. It's not a deck, it's the small 8.5 by 8.5 boxes. They've also released a an updated FAQ. I've heard people complaining about how big the FAQ is, but you know, at least they're updating and maintaining it, which is nice. Next up, the Game Archipelago. There's a, an expansion been announced for it called War and Peace. It's not clear to me if this expansion could be played solo, but maybe. Um, so if you have this game, you might want to check that out. And the third piece of news that I have is another is another Fantasy Flight game news. They have announced their first expansion for Eldritch Horror called Forsaken Lore. Now, nobody said anything, but I'm pretty sure they're going to stop, at this point, publishing uh, Arkham Horror. They've got a new game that's supposedly more streamlined, a little bit easier and more fun to play. Why would they keep going on with two games that are so similar? I don't imagine there's that much market for it. But time will tell. So today's topic, I think, will be a short one, but it's one I've had in the back of my mind for a while, and this seems like an appropriate episode to bring it up. It is a question of playing multiple characters in a cooperative game. I know some people tend not to like cooperative games, because often, if you play it solo... You need to play more than one character. You gotta play two or three where it doesn't really work well. The game doesn't balance. Or maybe the mechanics just don't really support one player. So sometimes, you know, I know I've personally seen a game like that and said, I don't really want it. It's not really gonna work for one player. But, uh, you know, I'm here today to say, let's, let's consider playing a game using multiple characters. I mean, honestly, why not? If you're not gonna play a game simply because you have to play two or three characters, you're really only limiting yourself to the number of games you could play. Uh, you're still able to play solo, and it's still really not that different. If you think about it, when you're playing cooperatively with three people, most of these games, most of these co-op games, all the information is shared anyway. So it's no different playing it by yourself as it is playing it with three friends. I mean, it's no difference in terms of mechanics and and the feel of the game and that sort of thing. I've also found that sometimes when you're playing a co-op game, 
if you're controlling two or three characters, it ends up being more interesting, a lot more fun, because you have a lot more tactical choices. And I think this is especially true when each character has different or unique abilities, because then it's a lot more variety in how you use each character and how they interact with each other. You know, for example, games that come to mind are Pandemic or Flashpoint Fire Rescue, and both of those, each character has can have unique abilities. And sometimes they complement each other, which is really nice. Or sometimes one of them is just better suited for the current situation than another. And it's fun when you get those choices. It makes it a lot more interesting, I think. So with that in mind, I went ahead and came up with all the games I could think of off the top of my head that are actually really good candidates for this and, in my opinion, better with multiple characters. Granted, I can only come up with a small list, but if you're willing to give it a try and play multiple characters in a cooperative game while playing solitaire, these are good ones to try it out with. First is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. I like this one because it makes more sense thematically. I mean, honestly, you're never going to have any firefighter going into a burning building by himself. I don't think that would just wouldn't happen in real life, unless it was a very extreme situation. You know, it's always a team going in. So every time I've played it, you know, I've taken a team of firefighters and that feels right. And instead of feeling like I am a firefighter, I feel like I'm the, the fire chief controlling the uh, the team from outside. And I think that game works really well with that point of view. A second is Space Hulk Death Angel. This one works because, you know, to begin with, you're already not playing one character. You're using three characters anyway. So... If you add another player, you're just adding three more. It, again, gives you a little bit more tactical choice, and it doesn't really change the feel of the game much at all. A third game is The Isle of Dr. Necro, which I talked about uh, way back in uh, another episode. You know, like Space Hulk, it, it's sort of like that in that when you when you play, I mean, you are playing one character per player, but each character has three cards with different abilities, and the art on the cards are different enough that you kind of feel like you're playing three people almost. So adding another character doesn't change that much. And you know, honestly, even when you play cooperatively, it doesn't really matter who rolls the dice. It feels more like a solo game than a co-op game. So again, I think this is a good one to try it out with if, you're, if this is not something you've done before and are wanting to sort of test the waters. Another one I added is a D-Day dice. And I think this is maybe just a little bit of a stretch. Um, I don't think it specifically gains anything by playing multiple characters other than some of the abilities that you could have when only apply when you have multiple characters. So when you do play solo, you, you do actually miss out a little bit on it. Because of the simplicity of the game and the way it works, I don't think you lose or gain much by playing multiple characters in terms of complexity or bookkeeping and that sort of thing. And again, this is another game where you could play more from the perspective of, of a team leader than the actual individual troops running up a hill. So anyway, th- those are four different games to, to give it a try with, if, if this is something you haven't done before. you know. And there's other games that I've enjoyed playing with multiple characters, even if it's not necessarily necessary. One I especially like with is Pandemic, because of the uh, having the multiple roles. And ironically, one game I haven't had interest in doing that with even though I hear it's highly recommended, is Arkham Horror. I actually enjoy the idea of playing that as a single person, even if it is just frustrating challenge. And of course, I haven't played it that often. And just to be controversial with myself, 
one game I haven't enjoyed so much playing Solitaire is Sentinels of the Multiverse because you have to play that with three characters. And really, even if you, even when I've played it with friends, if there's fewer than three people, actually if there's fewer than four, we often play four characters because it's not very, it's just too hard with fewer than four apparently. Or, or so I've been told. I didn't like this one so much personally because I found it very hard to keep track of all the cards. It's, you know, playing a hand of cards or playing three or four hands of cards is really hard. If each time you pick them up, you have to read them all and figure out what you have and what's going on. It just really slowed down the game for me. And I've heard it's great once you get past that hurdle. But that, that's been a hard one. Anyway, I shouldn't be talking negative. It's kind of defeating my whole point of this, isn't it? Let's go on to our game for tonight. So today's game is Robinson Crusoe Adventure on the Cursed Island. This game is designed by Ignacy Trevishek. Apologies if I pronounce that wrong. It is a worker placement game and it was released in 2013 by Portal Publishing and in the US or in English by Z-Man Games. This game has been hard to come by. It I think it's finally starting to get where it's, if, if you're interested in it, it's not too hard to find anymore, but for a few months it seems like if anybody had the game for sale, it was only for sale for a couple of days before they ran out of copies, which is just amazing. So so this is a really big game. Uh, I'm sure I could spend hours talking about it, but I will try and avoid doing that. Let me just start with telling you what's in it, and not even going to be detailed about that. First of all, there's island tiles that you're going to play on the board as you explore. There are player pawns, enough pawns for each player and extra pawns that may show up in any given game. There's resource cubes of various kinds. There are event cards. There's a couple of types of event cards. There's adventure cards. A few types of adventure cards. There's, uh, I'm sorry, ad- a few types of adventure cards. There are invention cards. There's beast cards. There are other cards. There are a lot of different types of tokens. There are 12 custom dice, there's the board, there's four character cards, there are three double-sided scenario cards for six scenarios. Um, Like I said, that's that's a general overview of what's in the box, but it's a lot more complicated than what I just said, really. So as I said, this is a worker placement game, I think I've said it about three times now, maybe four. And each player is going to have two worker pawns for that person. Basically, each person can take two actions in a given day. The game also has a Friday, an extra character that you could use. You use it in the solitaire game, or if you want to make the game a little bit easier, you could also use Friday. And that basically gives you one more worker. And there is also a dog worker. And again, you use him in the solitaire play, or if you want to make the game a little bit easier for you, if you're if you're playing multiple players, each of those gives you one more worker, and those workers are, well, at least the dog is limited in what he can do. And I guess in a sense, both of them are limited, but Friday's less limited. So this game bring is scenario based. It brings six scenarios with the game. Um, and let me just tell you what they are. I'm going to give you the names, just give you an idea of how varied the flavor can be. The first one is Castaways. The second is The Cursed Island. And this one, there's haunted places and stuff, and you got to break the curses. The third, Jenny Needs Help. 
and I, you know, I'm kind of annoyed by this scenario. It just seems, I'm sure it's a fun scenario, but it just seems dumb. In that your friend Jenny is stuck out in the ocean on a rock. And so now you have to get yourself from your deserted island to rescue Jenny back to your island. And then build a raft to escape because, oh, a hurricane is coming. Um, So it seems corny, but it you know actually seems pretty cool in that there's a lot of different things to do. The next one is Volcano Island. There's a volcano in the middle of the island that apparently is going to erupt. There is Cannibal Island. And the Robinson family is the last scenario. And then they all are very different. They play differently with very different goals. And custom actions and different things you could do that are going to be different from each other. Um, besides those, there is an expansion. I don't believe it's available in English yet. I imagine it will be. It is, don't remember exactly the name, but it's based on the voyages of Darwin on the HMS Beagle. And this brings, I don't know how many can expand, how many can, I'm not sure how many scenarios this brings, but it is a campaign game where you play all the scenarios in order from beginning to end. And there's even stuff that you do in between scenarios during the downtime. And at least that's what I understand. And then besides that, there's at least five player made expansions so far. And let me tell you the names of these because I think these are neat. Encounter on really and Encounter on Relier, which is uh, Cthulhu-themed. The HMS Raika Bayou, which I don't actually know about. Experiments on Dinosaur Island. Leviathan's Defeat. And Zombie Island. And if you check these out, they look fantastic. I mean, the, the graphic design, these could have been in, in the game box and you wouldn't realize they were fan-made expansions at all. Because so much love has been put into these things. Okay, so now let me tell you a little bit about what a game turn is like. It, there's six parts. First is an event. The You're going to draw a card from the event deck. And these are all generally bad. You'll draw the card. You'll ha do whatever action it says. And then you'll place the card in a threat track. This event is now a card that you could take an action to get out of the way. If you do, generally speaking, something... Okay, will happen. If you don't, something. If you don't deal with a threat, something bad will happen. the The next part of the turn is the morale. Here, just you move a counter up on the board, at least in the solitaire version of the game, and then you get some uh, resources, which are determination tokens. I mean, I shouldn't call them resources because they're not technically resources in in terms of the the game's parlance. Um. Because the next phase is the resource phase. In this, you'll get resources from whatever island tile you're currently capped at. And that could be one or two resources depending on the tile. The next part is the main part of the turn, which is the action phase. Here you get to place all your workers on the actions you want them to take. And then go ahead and take each action. I will describe the actions in a little more detail next. Um, before that, the fifth part of the turn is weather. It, this depends on scenarios, and the weather can change through the scenario as the scenario progresses. Um, but basically, you're going to roll a number of dice, in the worst case, three dice, and get affected by those. And these are generally just bad. Either they're bad or nothing happens. The final phase is night. At this point, 
everybody has to be fed, and if you don't have a hut to sleep under, you take damage. I guess from the the cool tropical nights. That makes absolutely no sense. Okay, so th that was the turn. It's basically five things, and you keep doing that until the game ends. Each of the scenarios I have seen, all the ones that come with the base game, have a fixed number of turns. Now, let me get into the action part of the, the turn because it is such a because it's such a critical part of the game. The actions you could take are explore. You could basically choose to flip over a tile on the and put it on the board. So you put your workers on the board, and then when you go and take the actions, well, so in the action phase, first you'll put all your workers out, and then you will take the actions one at a time for each of the spaces you've gone to. So for the explore action, you would put workers out on a, on a board, on a space on the board, and then flip a tile and put it on that space. And that's actually a little more complicated. I'm going to get back to that. The another thing you could do is build. There's different things you could build. You could build inventions. You could build your home. And there's three different things. You could build the the uh, tent. You could build a roof on it. You could build a palisade, which I didn't know this before, but those are basically walls. And they each do different things. The, the palisade is just victory points. The rest actually affect, your, affect you during the game. The third action you could choose is to gather resources. You could send workers out and place them on a tile on the board that's already explored it out there and you could get a resource cube from it and the next one is a threat action um, you remember I mentioned the first phase of the turn you draw an event card and then you're going to play that card in the threat space on the board you could take an action to basically nullify the the threat and the other thing that could happen oh, the, another action you could take is to arrange a camp this is basically to raise your morale and get, or get some uh, determination tokens. And the final action you could take is rest. And this is just to gain health back. Now those are all your basic actions, but it gets more complicated. Certain scenarios, you could use an action to do something specific, like uh, in the first scenario, you could use the build action to actually to build specific inventions that are part of the scenario, on the scenario. or in another scenario, you could use the explore action to explore some ruins. Um, so there's a lot of variety. So now I've kind of given you an idea what the game flow goes like. I'm sure at this point, if you haven't played, you still have no idea what the game itself is like because there's so much to it. And I've left out so many details, really. Um, just to give you an idea of the complexity of this game, here's a list of the different things you have to manage um, to be able to succeed. First of all, your character's health. Uh, food and wood. You're going to need food every turn or you're going to take damage. You need wood to build things uh, and to stay healthy, for example, in the winter. You need it to build your roof. There's other resources to manage, like leather. If you get that, you can use that to build, basically. Um, there's determination tokens, which you want to manage. You get those throughout the game. Generally, you get them from from defeating a well from taking an action and a th with a threat or from the morale phase you'll get determinations and you could spend these determination tokens to help you out you could uh you got to deal with the weather and generally you're going to be rolling dice and if you haven't prepared for it well you're going to take damage 
the shelters. You got to manage your shelters, and basically you got to build those up to help you f- deal with the weather or for victory points or just to avoid taking damage. There's weapons. There's I had mentioned briefly that there are beast cards. One of the actions you could take is to go hunt. I totally forgot that one. Um, if you go hunt, you're going to flip over a beast card. If there's a beast that you know about on the island and you fight it, and if you succeed, you're going to get resource from it. So to fight it, it's just a matter of comparing your weapon level against the beast difficulty, but you got to manage that weapon level. There are the threat cards I mentioned. You can't let them get out of control. Sometimes you have to deal with a threat. Sometimes you could ignore them, but you always have to be aware of what's going on with them. There's the events. Um, the event deck, it's interesting, and I'll tell you why again a little bit. But um, the number of cards can change, and you're always going to have one more event card than you're going to play with because at the start of the game, you have as many event cards as you have turns in the game, but you never draw an event card the first turn. So you always know one of the event cards won't show up. There's discoveries. These are tokens you get, often for explore, usually for exploring a, a new island tile. And these are different tokens that you get that now give you bonuses. So having these are going to affect what you do and how you do things. It's just one more thing to keep track of. And then there's the scenario goals, which are very unique to each scenario. Uh, you know, on top of dealing with all this stuff, you know, one scenario you might need to, for example, the first scenario you need to just deliver a lot of wood. I need to pace yourself on how you do it because you gotta, you're gonna have to take at least five turns to do it. Um, the way it's set up. Other scenarios have other things you gotta manage. Usually it's about managing the resources to use them in a certain way. But again, it's just one more thing to keep track of so that you could succeed in the game. So at this point, there's a couple of things I haven't mentioned that I said I would mention in the future. I'm pretty sure I don't remember all of them at this point. But anyway. One of them is taking actions. A few of the action types, you could either place one or two workers on it. Specifically the build, the explore, and the gather resources. If you put one worker, if you put two workers, the action automatically succeeds and you go ahead and do whatever it is you're trying to do. If you put one worker, then you have to roll those custom dice to see if it works. There's a, there's a set of custom dice for explore, a set for build, and a set for gather. Whichever action you're trying to do, you roll the dice. One of the dice will tell you if you succeed or fail. And generally you succeed. I think for most of them, the chances are, the odds are 5 and 6, you'll succeed. And even if you fail, you'll still get some determination resources. It's not all bad. But I mean, if you're counting on succeeding in that action, determination tokens aren't all that great. Um. Anyway, the second die is for damage. You're going to roll it. Either it's going to come out blank or it's going to come out with a little broken heart, in which case you take one damage. And the third die is for events or adventures. Either it comes out blank or an adventure icon comes out. If the adventure icon comes out, then you draw a card from the corresponding adventure deck. There's one for each of those three action types. You're going to draw it, and sometimes it's, something's going to happen immediately, usually bad, but not always. Or it's going to tell you to shuffle it into your event deck. And you'll do that. You'll just take your Ventec and that card and shuffle them up. And at some point in the game, that card may or may not come up. And when it does come up, it's usually bad. Um, and the way these things work, it, adding a card to the event deck doesn't mean each individual event is less likely to come up. 
When you draw one of these adventure cards from the event deck, after you shuffled it back in, you're going to draw it, deal with it, and then draw another card from the event deck. And if you have five adventure cards in a row, you'll deal with all five until you finally get to an event. So that's how the taking the actions works. There's also modifiers. For example, some events will have you put a counter on the adventure decks, on one of the three adventure decks. If you take that action, for example, if you have the counter on the explorer deck and you take an explorer action, even if you use two workers, that counter signifies that you have to draw an adventure card. So it, so it makes it interesting. The the weather dice are interesting when you roll them. You're going to have a number of clouds, which tells you there's rain. You need roof to deal with those clouds. The higher the roof level, the more clouds you could deal with uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. For each cloud you can't deal with because your roof level is not high enough. For example, you roll three clouds and you have two roof level. Because you're short one roof, you're going to take, I believe you take one damage per player. Or maybe you could uh, use up food or something. I don't remember exactly, but it's bad. And there's also, some, of, some of them also have snowflakes. Which again seems a little bit weird in a tropical garden, but what this means is it's just really bad weather. It was really cold. And for each snowflake that you roll, you have to spend wood and fire. Wood, you have to spend one wood, basically to keep your, your camp warm. And in the weather dice, one of them is a, another dice, which is generally has to do with a, a beasts, and you might have to fight a, a random beast or something. So I've kind of given you an idea of the different things going on in this game. As you can see, there are a lot of different things going on. Gosh, I haven't gotten into details for most of it. One other thing that is really interesting, I think, is the inventions. When you build an invention, you basically flip the card over to the other side. Um, and it's a technology tree, which is kind of neat. There's ten base inventions you start with. Or maybe it's nine, I don't remember exactly. But these cannot be built until you explore a certain type of island tile. There's a, there's mountain tiles, there's plain tiles, there's I believe one with a river, and there's a starting beach tile, and I think there's another type. When you when you explore and you flip a tile over, if it's a new type you hadn't found yet, you look at your invention cards that are available, and some of those will have an icon associated with that type of tile. You can now choose to build that type of invention. You couldn't before. So for example, you couldn't build a rope until you discovered a tile that was the right type of terrain. Basically, I guess I would have the right kind of uh, hemp growing there or something like that. So once you build these basic inventions, those often let you build other invention types. The, um, For example, there's a snare. You cannot build a snare until you've built the rope. You cannot build the rope until you've built the or discovered the correct island type. So it's a neat technology tree. It's not very deep, but it's neat. Another really neat thing about the game is the amount of variety. And why I say that is, the, the I hadn't mentioned before, but there are a lot more components that you use in any individual game. There is, I think, about 80 event cards in the game that come in the box. On any given scenario, you're going to use 12 at most. And they're all very, very different, so... You know, if you play the same scenario two or three times, each one might feel very different just because of the type of events you have. Um, the invention cards are the same. There aren't quite, there aren't anywhere near that many. But each game, you, I think you start with 14 of them. And there's maybe, there's, there's the nine base you always start with. And then you draw another five random. And there's probably 10 or 15 total for, of those that you can have random.
Um, the adventure decks that are associated with each action, there's way more of those cards that you're going to ever use in any in single game. Again, there's probably 30 or 40 of each of those types. Um, there are mystery cards. There's The deck is pretty big for those also. I don't know how many cards. Maybe 60 or 80. And there's actually three types of cards which in that deck. And it's kind of weird they mix it up because... Well, I'm not going to get into that, but it is kind of weird they mix it up. But, um, you know, most games you might get to find a mystery card or two. So, yeah, maybe even a little more than that, but there's no guarantee you'll find any. So, so again, the mist, there's a lot of variety because you probably won't see all the cards. It'll be, it'll, you'll play quite a few times before you see all the different mystery cards. There's some discovery tokens I mentioned. You're going to draw these out of a bag and they're going to give you different benefits. I think you don't see all of them in an individual game, but you do see a lot of them. And then there's just a lot of randomness in the different types of tile, island tiles that you explore, and the the dice had a lot of randomness and all that stuff. So, so the games, any two games you play are going to feel very different. I think so. Oh, which is awesome because it adds a ton of replayability to Robinson Crusoe. You know, I mentioned the inventions. I didn't tell you what the point of them is. Generally, they're going to either allow you to build other inventions or are going to give you a benefit. Um, and the benefits are different types of benefits. Some of them could give you an extra worker you could use. Generally speaking, the workers are limited to the type of actions they could take. Um, it may just be one type of action. It may be two. It just depends, I guess. Um, some give you benefits with food. For example, all... All the food you have each turn perishes at the end of the turn. So you can't hoard up your food. Some of the inventions let you keep the food permanently. You don't have to worry about that. Um, some help you with your weapon level and just different things. There's a fair bit of variety in that. I mentioned there's four character cards. The game brings four different characters you could play. However, in the the fourth one is only used in the four-player game. So you really only have three to choose from. Most of the time. I don't know if it's most of the time. I guess it depends on how many people you're playing with. But if you're listening to this show, then I'm sure most of the time. Um, each of the each of the characters has different abilities. And I think they all have the same amount of health. But as the health goes down, each time it passes a certain threshold, it impacts your morale. And each character, the, when they impact morale and how often varies from character to character. Each character also has special abilities, which they could take by using those determination tokens I mentioned earlier. The abilities vary a little bit. Um, Actually, they vary a lot, but one ability each character has, each of the three characters has, is they let you reroll dice. And it depends... And I don't remember exactly which is which, but let's say there's an explorer character. He'll let you reroll the green explorer action dies. The cook will let you re-roll probably the gather resource dies. And another guy will let you roll the build dice. Yeah, it's a carpenter actually. So so yeah, so I think I think that's everything we say about about what the game is like in terms of mechanics and components and all that. Um now what do I think about the game? Well first of all it's very impressive. It's it's 
great art. It's fantastic looking. I mean, it's high quality components. I've heard there's some variety in that, but I'm very happy with the quality of my game. The amount of stuff you get is impressive. The amount of cards that are involved in the game, especially since you don't use them all, especially since you don't use most on any given play. I find that very impressive. Um, I found the game very fun and very thematic. For a worker placement, I'm surprised just how thematic the game is, and I guess it's because of all the components and everything that's in there. Um, I didn't mention it before, but the cards have a lot of flavor text. I think that adds to the thematicness. The scenarios are interesting. There, there's a lot of variety in scenarios, and the game is also very hard. The first scenario is the easiest, the last is harder, and then, you know, it's supposed to scale gradually. Or maybe not gradually, I don't know, I haven't made it through all of them yet. But it's supposed to get harder as you go from scenario to scenario. Playing the game seems to take about two hours, that's what I found for myself. Every time I've played, it's been right around two hours, unless I've done really bad and, and lost more quickly. It's like, gosh, I mean, really... This is a really neat game. I really, really liked it. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I'm just, I'd be surprised if it doesn't win some, some awards this year. Now, on the other hand, there are a couple, I'd say, minor drawbacks. Maybe they're not entirely minor, but there are some drawbacks. One thing is, the theme is a little bit weird. It's called Robinson Crusoe, but he's not really in the game. His friend Friday is, so I think this is sort of, before Robinson Crusoe, you know, some other people got stuck on this island and and Friday befriended them. So maybe it was, you know, he had practiced before Robinson Crusoe. Or maybe this is after Robinson left the island or something. More people came along. And now Friday's old hat at this and helps him out in that. Um, the characters are a little weird. It's, it's the box, they look like pirates and there's, I don't know, it's a questionable taste on the on that cover, I'd say. They're, well, and it also looks a little steampunkish. I mean, like the Carpenter character is just a little strange. So the theme is great. The art is fantastic, but it kind of doesn't make sense, you know? Um, that doesn't bother me a whole lot when I play it. it you know, it makes my head turn funny, but, you know, I still have a great time playing it. Um, my one other complaint is it, because the game is so big and there is so much, it's not a surprise that it's going to take a while to set up. And it feels like it takes forever to set up and it feels like it takes forever to put away. You know, compared to how much time you spend playing, it's probably not that bad at all. And one thing I did that I found helped me is I got a little tiny uh, Plano box for some of the components. The box fits right inside the game box without having to throw out the insert or anything like that. And I'm able to put in most of the things that I'm going to use during the game in it. And the the stuff that doesn't fit in there are things like the player tokens I'm going to pull out at the beginning and then I have out the rest of the game and the cards. But a lot of the tokens that I'm reaching for every turn and putting back out of the game every turn, I keep them in that box and they're really handy. It makes the game a lot easier to play with. Play makes it a lot easier to play and to put away. Well, anyway, so, so there you go. That's my opinion of this Monster Euro game. Um... It's it's a really cool game. Definitely worth giving it a try. I've really liked it. Even though I have a few minor complaints here at the end of the show, I am more than happy with this game. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. 
You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.